morning, Anthem Church. If, if you missed it, we're going to be in Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, so you guys can open up there. And uh, Just excited to, to be with you all and welcome back to a lot of the college students coming uh, uh, back. But today's theme, if, you, if you're a note taker and you want to write on the top, is really one of freedom. Just want to make a, a personal observation that I would make is, is I believe that our country is becoming less and less free. And perhaps you would share that concern. But my question is, I wonder if we share the same, like, why is that? Why are we seeming to lose our freedom? And the concern that I would have is that we're forgetting the source of where freedom comes from, and therefore we're looking for it in all the wrong places. And I want to start by just defining freedom. Freedom is, is this. It's the absence of subjection to a foreign domination or a tyrannical government. When you're not subject to the, these, these domination or the tyrannical government, that's when you have freedom. But aside from Jesus Christ, we are subject to a foreign ruler, Satan, sin, and death. And so ultimately, freedom from spiritual bondage comes through Jesus Christ. And if we don't know that, our lives are going to be lived with a level of longing and discontentment because we're not going to have the fruits of the Spirit, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things come from Jesus. And so, therefore, freedom foremost is found ultimately in Jesus, freedom from spiritual bondage. In other words, if you gave everybody 40 acres and a mule, but they didn't have Jesus, they wouldn't be free. And it's why our author, Paul, can be in chains Yet, free as a bird. Freedom that our country or any nation ultimately needs won't be based on how we vote, but who we worship. And so I want to just pray yet again as we just start. just want to pray from my heart, perhaps yours, is I think we do have a tendency to look for freedom in things and structures, but not in the Lord. And I just want to pray and ask God uh, to go before us. And so, Heavenly Father, do just, again, we come before you asking God that you would help us grow in our understanding to the extent of the freedom that we had, uh, that we have in you and, and the, that Paul had and has in you. God, please, would you help us better understand the depths of that freedom this morning as we study your word together. And Lord, we do pray that not only our local city, but that our nation, that all the nations would find freedom in you. Lord, we have to, we believe that that is where healing is going to start. And we just pray that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you missed it last week, I just invite you to go back and listen to Matt's sermon. Uh, he did a great job kicking us off in the book of Philippians. But that is the, the theme of the book was really discussed last week. And it, it is this idea that we are citizens in heaven. Now, Paul, his physical location for writing this would have been Rome, in prison, there to stand trial before Caesar. So that's where he's at, in chains, writing this. And the recipients are in Philippi. This would have been a Roman colony. Retired military would have been there. Pretty wealthy, prestigious place. In seminary, I actually got to travel uh, to these places where Paul had went. Went to Philippi. Y'all, it's pretty beautiful. <laughs> you can see why people of that region would have been like, yeah, we kind of got it figured out. I mean, this sweet kind of 
placed there, uh, and they would have been set up, uh, and they would have wanted to identify as a Roman colony, and they would have wanted that to be their identity. And so Paul starts the letter by saying, hey, remember, first and foremost, you're actually citizens of heaven. That's where your identity has to flow from, is this citizenship in heaven. And from your citizenship in heaven, the rest of the letter is going to discuss what that means. And the first thing that means is we have incredible freedom as citizens of heaven. And he starts in verse 12. This is where we start our text today. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and he's referencing his chains and being imprisoned, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I'm just going to stop there. What Paul is saying is like, hey, I know this kind of looks bad that I'm chained up, and he's writing this to the church because they're concerned for him. He's like, I know you're concerned, and I understand the logic as a missionary church planter who goes from city to city, how being enchained in one city might affect that role a little bit. He's like, counterintuitive though, it's actually what has happened has served to advance the gospel. It's, it's actually advanced the gospel, not hindered it. And it's like, well, how is that logical? <laughs> like, that doesn't seem like that would be a thing. Okay, so God doesn't have to work within those confines of how we understand logic. Because throughout Acts, we saw over and over again, you're like, ooh, that seems bad. And God's like, yeah, but I'm doing something good with it. And we don't have to look any further than the cross. We're like, mm, that doesn't seem good. Except now all of humanity has been forgiven of sins if they trust Jesus. And so God consistently, over and over again, uses things that might be perceived bad for great good. And here, Paul is saying, my chains being in Rome, God is using it to advance the gospel. And he says, how? He's like, I have a captive audience, pun intended, right? I have other prisoners and guards that they're stuck with me. Other people, when I would preach to them, they get mad, throw rocks at me, run me out of town. These guys can't go anywhere. <laughs> and they can't pick up rocks because they're in chains, most of them. So, so he's saying, this is great. <laughs> what an opportunity to have an audience where I can just wear them down day after day and just share the hope in Jesus that I have. And he says, one camp that is mentioned is this imperial guard, our praetorian uh, guard, there was established, Augustus, uh, Caesar Augustus established them. Tiberius, he's the one that brought them to Rome, to headquarters. These guys in the imperial guard would have been centurions. Centurions oversaw a hundred different troops. But not only that, they were centurions that got double pay, all sorts of special privileges. I mean, they were incredibly powerful men under Caesar. And although they would have been like there to serve Rome and to serve Caesar... They were so powerful at times, they uh, chose if they wanted to keep Caesar or if they wanted to remove him from office. And again, they didn't cast the vote. They just killed him and threw him out. In fact, they were so powerful that upon seeing this throughout history, uh, them having uh, gotten rid of a few emperors, uh, when Constantine came into power 300 years later after Paul's imprisonment, he's like, uh... I think we need to get rid of these guys. And so he disbands the whole group out of fear of being murdered by them. So they're powerful 
influential people that really helped set the trajectory for Rome. It's this prestigious group. And Paul managed to penetrate, penetrate that group and get in there and share Jesus with them and not be written off instantly. I'm trying to think of who in today's world, maybe they're not Caesar, but they have incredible power. You don't have to look too far to see that maybe if you're a CEO of a tech company, maybe you have incredible power. Now, you're not Caesar, but you can have influence. We see that with professional athletes. They don't hold public office, but they can sway things incredibly. Musicians, leading politicians, these, these people that, that hold power. And often, <laughs> you look at the list of like the who's who and who's incredibly influential. Oftentimes, Christians, leading Christians, aren't on that list. In fact, you've perhaps even seen it, I think, of, of when people in those positions, athletes, guys like Tim Tebow come out for Jesus. Sometimes they just get snubbed for their religious kind of beliefs and stance. And one reason why I think Christians can be written off sometimes is because the rest of the world, when they look at Christians, sometimes they're like, man, those guys are weird. Because if our citizenship is in heaven, sometimes we, I could understand how that would be weird to an outside group of people. We willingly submit to the spirit, not to the flesh. So therefore, we abstain from certain things. We turn the other cheek when we're wrong. There's things that we do as Christians that I imagine would look like to some on the outside world. It's like, man, like you guys are, you're in bondage. You're, you have to follow the spirit. I just do whatever my flesh wants. And so it would be easy for the imperial guard, these guys that are free, they can eat whatever, they can do whatever, they've got the stuff. It would be easy for them to see like Paul is twice chained. You're in chains because of the, the Jews and, and the Romans, and, and apparently God has you in chains too. You're so restricted. But that's, and I would say when we elevate religion over relationship, we only feed that narrative. When we just elevate religious rules and religiosity. We got to do this, that, and the other. We kind of feed into that. But Paul, Paul is like, oh, I'm actually the free one. You guys are the ones that are enslaved. And we, Paul's been here before, by the way. In, in fact, it was Acts 16, where he was in Philippi. He was thrown into prison with Silas. And it was there that while he was in prison in that city, which again, that is the city that's receiving this letter, is Philippi. It was while he was there in prison that he and Silas were singing hymns, songs of praise, well into the night. Because of the freedom they had, not in their circumstances, but the freedom they had in Jesus. And so they're singing, and, and the jailer, the guard, the one that had the authority, he was the one that was broken. We, we see this because... He was enslaved to sin, damned to hell, and he knew it, which is why upon watching these prisoners, and when God shakes the prison, the jailer is the one that cries out, what must I do to be saved? And he and his whole family, Scripture says, surrendered their lives to Jesus that very night, trusted him for for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would be released from that spiritual bondage. And it's that jailer that would have been a recipient of this letter to the Philippians. 
And it's, he would have been a founding member of that church. And so the jailer, the Philippian jailer, he knows that these imperial guards, although we might say they have freedom, he's like, they're not free if they're anything like me. They don't know Jesus. And so we can't equate, what I'm trying to say here is, we can't equate status with freedom, circumstances with freedom. Matt did really well to give us just two camps to think in. Those that are in Christ, those that are not in Christ. If you're in Christ, you have freedom. If you're not in Christ, no matter what position you hold or where you're at, if you're not in Christ, you're not free. The imperial guard, they don't know Jesus. So Paul's like, they're not free. And so he begins to just share Jesus with them, pointing them to that, uh, to Jesus Christ is alone for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this because I fear that some people could be hearing this and, and with the intro and they're saying, well, does that mean systems and government and, and voting, all that stuff? Does it matter that we shouldn't participate in seeking change because it just matters if you're in Christ or out of Christ and everything else is irrelevant? No, I'm not saying that. I don't want to say that. I would say whether somebody is in Christ or not in Christ, that's first and foremost, but it's not to say that those other things don't matter. And we see that from the text because the fact that Paul is in Rome is because he's seeking to change a corrupt structure. He could have tried to take care of this locally, but instead, it was Paul who appealed to Caesar so he could fix this because the Jews and kind of the local officials were corrupt and messing things up. And so Paul, the fact that he's here is he's seeking to change a broken system. Now, Paul's freedom and his joy is not going to be determined by the outcome of that. It's solely found in Jesus, but it doesn't mean that we don't participate in those things. It's right to seek justice. It's worth legislating morality. It's right to, to want a desire to see the kingdom come upon those that are in these positions or, or uh, the systems which govern us. But our freedom can't ultimately be associated and linked to the outcome of that. It's, it's tied to Christ. And so Paul and our citizenship is in heaven. And when we mess up that order, it has severe consequences. I'll tell you about my friend, Adam, and I've changed Adam's name uh, just in case that he's listening to this somehow. But, but Adam and I went to college together, and just the college experience, played intramural sports together. We'd go over for like Wednesday poker night uh, at the place, and, and it was, things were pretty good, had a relationship, and, and after college, uh, our relationship kind of was reduced to Facebook friends, uh, but it was still fun to be able to keep up on on Adam's life. But after we got out of school, uh, Adam on social media, as I continued to follow him, just started posting some things. I'm like, huh, that's, that's intriguing. And it just kept going like a deeper and deeper direction to the point where it's like, okay, there's, there's one world order. And if you have currency and, and not gold, uh, you're going to be behind the times. And, and started posting articles about uh, from just unsubstantiated sources, just more and more like everything is broken, doom and gloom. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, and I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, maybe. <laughs> and then uh, one of them, though, was like, okay, not that one, though, <laughs> was uh, 
was a, a screenshot of a text message between a former uh, president and somebody else. And I'm like, Adam, you can change your contacts to say whatever name you want and upload a picture. In fact, I'm contemplating uh, changing uh, Pastor Matt's to, to President Trump just when he calls me, like I would feel more important, right? But, but there's this screenshot. He's like, here, it's conclusive that all this is corrupt because of the. I'm like, okay. But, but here's the thing. I'm not trying to make too much light of it. He could be right. Like on some of this, I, I would grant, could be right. He's certainly convinced he's right. But for being right, I would say this about him. He is incredibly enslaved. I use that word specifically. He is lonely. He is isolated. Ends up calling people sheeple. is not a way to win friends or influence. And this pursuit of what is true has led him to such a level of cynicism, such a level of fear. In fact, his own family doesn't get to engage with him. And when they did, his sister that, that posts is like, finally, we got to see Adam at a, a family thing. He's come out from the internet chat room that he's been in to just engage us. Adam is enslaved. And for being someone that's enlightened and is free in his mind, I would argue, no, you're not. No, you're not. Christian, you can be alert, but not be an alarmist. That is not fitting that we would be spreading fear instead of hope that we have. Because again, even if give all that, just say it simply like this. I think there are Christians in communist countries that have real oppression, that have more freedom that they live in light of than those in the land of the free. Because freedom is not in circumstances. Ultimately, it's found in Jesus. And that's why Paul is the one in change. He's like, I'm the free one here. And he's just sharing with them. And I praise God, Adam, again, my friend Adam, has got a sister who uses the same platforms to just proclaim Jesus, to make him known. Psalm 62 says this, For God alone... Oh, my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Is that fitting? Is that, is that you? On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Are we finding our hope, our security as citizens of heaven in, in the Lord Jesus? Or is it in our circumstances? And if it's in our circumstances and if it's in these structures, again, it's not that they're irrelevant. They're just secondary to that of Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer, he's seeing that Paul's sharing the gospel with these imperial guards, and he's saying, amen, <laughs> they need it. Lydia, who would have also been a recipient of this letter in Philippi, if you remember her from Acts 16, successful businesswoman, uh, money galore, but she's still spiritually seeking because, again, apart from Jesus, there won't be peace. There won't be freedom. And so Paul is sharing, and it's not just freedom from the bondage of sin. It is certainly that. It's freedom from our circumstances, that our hope is not in circumstances, it's in the Lord. That's freedom that God gives. 
But another freedom gets unpacked as we continue, and it's the freedom from self. Verse 14, see what he says here. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident of the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. And you understand, as Pastor Matt Chandler was just talking, and I think he nailed it with this understanding, that the absence of a strong preacher, Paul, creates this vacuum. You take Paul out, who's this dynamic guy, and there's leadership to be had, and so there's a jostling that takes place to replace that leadership. Somebody's going to step up, and so there's these fractions that are happening, and there's two kind of camps that are trying to fill that void. There's this one, they just love God, and they are just sincerely wanting to see Christ preach, and so they step into those things. They're emboldened by, by Paul, emboldened by the gospel, and so that's one camp. And another camp, as it says, is, is those who are doing it, they're preaching out of envy and rivalry of, of Paul. They're, they're kind of jealous. They haven't had these opportunities. And finally, now that he's in prison, got the chance. And so when it says that they're hoping to afflict Paul, the affliction is not like, oh, we'll preach Jesus. Everybody will start repenting. It'll be good. And then the Romans will be more mad at Paul and they'll punish him more. They're hoping to inflict him like personally, just emotionally. They're hoping that it gets back to Paul that they've actually been the better preachers this entire time. They're hoping that, that, that that's why they're motivated to do this. It's not because they want to continue to proclaim the message. They want to, they want to be the best at proclaiming it. And their motives are, are, are laid out there in, in 15 and 17, hoping to devastate Paul that with their superior teaching. And you're like, man, that's, that's dark. Y'all, we do this. <laughs> Let me point out a few examples of, of how we do this. Is it, it's college missions teams. Seen this happen? Been a part of this? Where you go to the, this city and there's other teams there and you're like, we will share the gospel more than these other people. That's the motivator. <laughs> like The motives are becoming clear. It's like, we're going to do that. We're going to work hard. Some of you, our connection group is the best connection group. You think that. You're like, but it's true. Is it wrong to think it if it's true? Like, but there's just like the motives, even uh, young guys like preaching, starting out, you don't get a whole lot of reps. You're like, I'm going to preach a great sermon. So they realize how foolish they are to not have me on the schedule more. Motives, uh, flawed motives for these things. Like, oh, we want to have the best you know, church, best worship, best these things, and that starts this competition based on these flawed motives. And, and I just want to have a pastoral moment here for some of us to really hear this. Some of us begin to believe that the gospel depends on us, that it's us having the right answers, the, the right approach, that 
our righteousness is essential uh, in, in heaven forbid, like my righteousness is, is a preacher, that really depends, like will determine if the gospel goes forward or not, which is why we freak out when, when somebody stumbles a little bit, falters, that, or we perceive that they might have wrong motives. What does Paul say in verse 17? He says, I know they have wrong motives. I'm confident that they're messed up when they preach Christ. I know that they're preaching out of selfish ambition. It's not sincerity. I know that, but what does he say? Who cares? To some extent, he's like, what does it matter? Only then and everywhere, Christ is preached. It's not a prescription to say, so have false motives. <laughs> you know, like, and it's not to say motives aren't important, but it is saying this. False motives will not hinder the gospel going forward. And this is good news for several reasons. One being that if God needed to wait until we had good motives and we were good people for the gospel to go forward, it would never go forward. Is that understand that? That if God needed to wait for us to get our stuff together, that we got our lives straightened out in order for him to use us, well, this would, we would never be used. It would just wouldn't happen. Our false motives will not prevent the gospel from going forward. It's going to happen in spite of us. Jared Wilson had this quote from, from one of his books. He teaches at a seminary down the road. And it's for pastors, but I, I think this is every Christian. He says, here is the justification for a sin-prone pastor. And these are his words. He's like, by which I mean pastor. In other words, every pastor is, is sin-prone and every Christian is prone to sin. He says, because of Christ's perfect work on your behalf, your failure, your daily anxiety, your unwillingness, your stress, your sin, your brokenness, your ineptitude, your ignorance, your awfulness, your regrets, your pride, and your arrogance are no match for the deep and abiding grace of God given to you before time began, now and forevermore. God has gotten pretty good at using crooked sticks to draw straight lines. Throughout all of Scripture, he's been doing this, using imperfect people to proclaim of a perfect, good God. Christian, I just want us to hear that, that we would be free, that we would delight in the sovereignty of God who's proven time and time again that he's not going to allow us to, to ultimately hinder the gospel from going forward. And we have to understand what's being said if we go back up to the Philippians. What's being said here where he's saying, I'm going to rejoice in this. We have to be okay because I think we want to have a, 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 just a, a culture of discipleship, raising people up, seeing them grow in obedience, in maturity, in their walk with Jesus. But sometimes we can think this. So it's like, mm, I don't know if they're ready yet. What do we mean? When? You expect them to have Jesus worked out of a job and have it all figured out and then they're ready? But I can think like that and perhaps you can think like that. But, and again, it's not to say that, that motives are irrelevant. We need to keep addressing those things and there's perhaps some wisdom when it comes to leadership. But when I have a default understanding 
that God can use imperfect people with impure motives to accomplish great good. And I want us to have that. I want me to have that. And honestly, I was, I was studying this. Holy Spirit's just working on me. He's like, Stan, you need to chill out a bit. Because I've been just abusing this, I think, and missing this point and becoming hypercritical about, you know, this church structure, this ecclesiology. And again, I think it's right to care about those things, but to wrongly deduce, therefore, if it's not perfect or not perfect people, that God can't use other leaders or other ministries to accomplish good. I believe Paul's attitude here ought to challenge us to see past other people's brokenness, other people's sin, and recognize that God might use them in spite of themselves. That we would see past that with some other people and apply a little bit of grace and lean into the sovereignty of God. I would invite you to do that because here's the reality. People already have to do that with you. That we would do that for others, that we would see past the brokenness and see how God might ultimately be making his name great. False motives will not prevent the gospel from, from going forward. As citizens of heaven, we have freedom. Freedom from the spiritual bondage, first and foremost. Freedom no matter what our circumstances are. Paul's, it was chains. We're free from all that. And we're free to be used. We have, we're free from ourselves. And despite our impure motives, which often exist, and need to be repented of, God can still make the gospel go forward and has and will. All that comes from understanding that the source of our freedom is Jesus Christ, our citizenship in heaven because of what Jesus has done. And so I just want to delight in that. As we take communion today, you should have a communion cup that was on your chair. I'm going to invite the band up. But as we do this, again, we're, it represents Jesus' body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us. And so as the band comes up, they're going to play and, and just invite us to reflect on that good news. That apart from Jesus, we are in bondage to sin, death, with Satan ruling over us. But it's only because of what he has done that we can be forgiven and have the Holy Spirit to walk with us and guide us. It's the freedom that we have and want to live in light of that. And it's made possible because of what Jesus has done that we would no longer be enemies of God, but because of his death on a cross, which paid the punishment for our sin that we deserve, we can be forgiven, that we have been set free, and we use our freedom then to proclaim that freedom to others, first with, from spiritual bondage, and then the rest. And just thinking of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, because we'll celebrate that tomorrow, Martin Luther King Day. That's the message that he was preaching, understanding that before we can be reconciled to each other, we have to first recognize that we are reconciled to God. Once we understand that, that we are reconciled to a good God, then, and only then, can we be reconciled to each other. If our nation, if our country, doesn't first come to know that reconciliation, 
and we have to try and reconcile by controlling free speech and, and building systems to ultimately do what only God can do, man, it's going to continue to leave us broken and distant. It has to start right there, being reconciled to God vertically, and then it can go horizontal. And as we take communion today, let it start with us. And so if you've had people, because of their motives, which you might rightly diagnose, kind of locked up in your heart, would you just forgive them as Christ has forgiven you as we take communion? Can we do that? Can we look to the sovereignty of God in all things to use seemingly what we would deem to be broken to bring ultimately a, a good? And so just invite you to take communion this morning. When you have taken the bread and taken the cup, we just invite you to stand and worship with the team. Just pray for us. Lord, we do just want to bow our heads and hearts now. And Lord, thank you for your patience, your mercy, your grace with us. Even when we default to religion instead of relationship, even when we're given to lash out in the flesh instead of abiding in the spirit, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us as displayed through Jesus Christ. And so as we take communion today, I want to remember the freedom that we have and the cost that was paid for that freedom. And Lord, we want to live in light of that, not keeping that gift to ourselves, and, and not trying to set others free through anything aside from Jesus. First and foremost, we want them to know Jesus. So God, please continue to do a good work in us. Reveal now by your spirit the calluses of our heart, and Lord, would you remove them as we take communion, as we respond in worship. Just pray that in the name of our Savior.